Welcome to the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast, episode number 61. My name is Christopher Luff. I'm one of the co-founders of Lima Charlie, and I will be your host. On today's episode, we're going to be chatting with the one and only Matt Bromley about some cutting-edge intel coming out of the Lima Charlie Community Slack channel. Another week, another set of bad actors, malicious files, and compromised systems. Thanks for being here once again to talk about all the intel coming out of the Lima Charlie Community Slack channel. And as always, a huge thank you to those folks that care enough to share the information in the channel. Our little corner of the world is more informed and safer because of your efforts. And Matt, thank you for being here once again to share your expertise with us. Hey, Chris, always happy to be here. It's great to always be reviewing what some of our amazing folks are doing in that Intel channel. As you said, they are helping keep the all safer and as well-informed as well. I got to say, sometimes I, I rely on the Intel channel as actually being one of the earlier sources of Intel as opposed to some of the others that I've seen before. So hats off to the folks that post here first or post there first, if you will. But uh, again, always looking forward to reviewing these, and I think we got some pretty good ones teed up for today. All right, let's get to the intel. First up, we have back-to-back hits from Cisco Talos. I say back-to-back hits, but it is actually two blog articles published with the same timestamp involving the same threat actor. In what I'm assuming is the first, researchers discovered the North Korean state-sponsored actor Lazarus Group targeting internet backbone infrastructure and healthcare entities in Europe and the United States. In this campaign, the attackers began exploiting a managed engine service desk vulnerability reported as CVE-2022-47966 five days after POCs for the exploit were publicly disclosed to deliver and deploy a new malware being tracked as QuietRat. QuietRat has many of the same capabilities as Lazarus Group's better-known MagicRat malware, but its file size is significantly smaller. Both implants are built on the QT framework and include capabilities such as arbitrary command execution. And it is through this same campaign that researchers also discovered Lazarus Group using a new piece of malware they are calling Collection Rat. Collection Rat has standard remote access Trojan capabilities, including the ability to run arbitrary commands on an infected system. Based on the analysis by Cisco Talos, Collection Rat appears to be connected to Jupiter or Early Rat, another malware family Kaspersky recently wrote about and attributed to Andariel, a subgroup within the Lazarus Group umbrella of threat actors. This is definitely some impressive research from the folks at Cisco Talos, but both sets of malware described do seem to be part of the same campaign. Are Collection Rat and Quiet Rat that different that the parallel blog articles make sense? And is this a sign that the Lazarus Group is going to be around for a long time to come? Yeah, you know, Chris, this is a really interesting pair of posts here because you're right. They do have the exact same set of authors and the exact same timestamp and the exact same picture to go with them as well. I'm not sure if we are looking at blog posts necessarily more as we're looking kind of like uh, adversarial toolkit stores, meaning these posts are, are written kind of as almost like, you know, a thing that will live on in the future as we're writing about a particular toolkit that they use and whatnot. Quite rat and collection rat, if you will. I think between the two, you know, there's definitely enough differences that they were able to get two posts out of it. And both posts are pretty lengthy as well. Hats off to the team there for some really good technical analysis as they walk through it. I do think, though, that they did a great job in kind of identifying the differences between the two as well. Uh, They did go through and state that Collection Rat appears to be more connected to Jupiter or Early Rat, as opposed to, and I think you mentioned this as well, as opposed to Quite Rat, which is closer to Magic Rat. So long story short, I think we've got 
the Lazarus group kind of expanding or flexing on their toolkit, bringing in multiple different remote access Trojans or remote access tools into their toolkit, and really just making the most out of, you know, having presence in that victim environment. So we can assume that they're going to be around for a while. I think so. Yeah, I think this is a good post that demonstrates that the Lazarus group is continuing to develop, continuing to build, continuing to you know work on infrastructure and find different ways to compromise environments. I think the mention of, and you talked about this, but going after kind of backbone infrastructure companies in Europe, you know, not to say that that's never been targeted before, but that's definitely a really interesting target to go after. I mean, you know, that's one of those one equals many types of targets. Um, and I do think this is also a good reminder for everyone as well. One of the re one of the ways in one of the entry vectors that they were using, especially in the quite rat capability was through manage engine. And this is not anything new to us. We're well aware of these vulnerabilities and tons and tons of organizations have been targeted and impacted by manage engine vulnerabilities here. But just as a reminder to everyone, right, this is a very active, loud and proud group who's gone in and weaponized this and, and made very good use of this vulnerability. So patch, patch, patch to the best of your ability. Yeah, I found it interesting that, you know, five days after the POC, we see them executing on it, which is something I think we've talked about before, the weighing the balance between sharing information and enabling threat actors at the same time. Absolutely, man. hundred percent. It goes right back to that. Like, well, do I share it? Do I not share it? How are folks going to weaponize it? Are they going to be successful? Is it going to get patched? Is it not going to get patched? I mean, lots of different considerations there, but you know, for anyone who's ever curious, right, here's Lazarus Group going at it and they've got a full toolkit they're running and it's working. So if you have not patched yet and you're waiting for some higher risk consideration to get there, I'd say these two posts would be exactly it. All right. Uh, next up from JP Cert slash CC, who has confirmed that a new technique was used in an attack that occurred in July of 2023, which bypasses detection by embedding a malicious word file into a PDF file. The given blog article calls a technique maldoc in PDF and explains the details of how it is constructed and provides countermeasures against it. I found this to be a really interesting approach. The attacker adds an MHT file created in Word and with a macro attached after the PDF file object and saves it. The created file is recognized as a PDF file in the file signature, but it can also be opened in Word using the .doc extension. Have you ever seen approaches like this before, Matt, or is this real innovation on the cybercriminal front? I'll tell you, this one actually was really refreshing uh, to read. And I don't mean that as a compliment. I mean that as kind of, you know, usually you, you find, all right, here's a, you know, here's a new way to write an Excel macro to get through or something like that. But this one, I, I felt the adversaries actually put some time into to figure this one out here, which was, again, Chris, as you mentioned, uh, Maldoc in PDF. For anyone who's curious, Maldoc is a kind of you know, a, a, a shorthand version of malicious document, which is a, a term given to kind of malicious docx files. Whenever we think of malicious documents, Microsoft Word is often the associated file in there. But interestingly enough, you know, this team went and found a way to, to wrap these up in PDFs. But interestingly enough, and I was reading through the headers and the different file structures of this before we got in here, the, the MHT file created in Word and then attached after the PDF object is interesting because it also means the file can be opened in Word as well. And this is where I think we see some kind of cross-platform expectations there or cross-application expectations. When a lot of folks think of vulnerable PDFs, they think of like Acrobat and whatnot. Um, but in this case, we've got a PDF that's got some vulnerable code or malicious code wrapped into it that will actually be able to open in Word as well. 
and I'll, I'll quote from the article here as well. You know, it should be noted that the spiral performs unintentional behaviors when opened in Word, while malicious behaviors cannot be confirmed when it's opened in PDF viewers. And I think that's a really, really interesting approach there. Um, they do posit that perhaps this is, you know, uh, a good way to have a file recognized as a PDF. So if you run it or try to open it as a PDF, such as a sandbox or AV software, you wouldn't see anything malicious about it. It's not until you get to word that it does. And that's where I got to say this is a pretty novel and unique technique because, again, they've found a way to subvert some pretty typical detection mechanisms. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see some retooling after this, but I, I found it to be a really, really unique technique and, and something that I think defenders should be looking out for. Yeah, innovation on all fronts, right? All right. You know, it's surprising. Even the adversaries are building new and cool things. Okay. Uh, this one comes from Telecom Security, who was recently made aware via trust groups in which they engaged in a new malware campaign that is distributed via phishing emails. The mal spam campaign used stolen email threads to lure victim users into clicking the contained hyperlink which downloaded the malware. Initially, this malware campaign was falsely attributed to a motet when it triggered false positive matches in an automated detection rule. Despite the false attribution, this motivated the security research community to focus on this new campaign. Analysis quickly revealed significant similarities to the Darkgate malware based on a similar initial infection routine and the observed C2 communication protocol. This attribution was further confirmed when embedded strings and contained functionality clearly identified the sample as part of the Darkgate malware family. The observed infection chain has the initial payload delivered via an MSI installer file, Victims get this file by clicking a link that is contained in a received phishing message. This link initially points to what is likely a traffic distribution system, or TDS. If the requirements set by the attacker are met, the TDS will redirect the victim to the final payload URL for the MSI download. When the user opens a downloaded MSI file, the dark gate infection is triggered. It's a very technical article that breaks down the infection chain and dark gate malware in great detail. Initially created by a sole developer, the researchers attribute the spike in recent Darkgate malware to the developer making it available for rent. Is there anything in this infection chain that stood out to you? And is there anything that defenders can do to build some defenses against it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Chris, you called it out. You're right. This is a this was a very technical walkthrough and, and a really interesting post. A huge, huge head nod over to the folks over at Telecom. Uh, I just, I, I got to say, it was great to read through this one and really... Um, you know, understand the types of steps that adversaries take to evade detection. So we've talked about this uh, plenty of times on this podcast, but the steps that adversaries take to get around these things, just sometimes it's, it's so complex and so many different things. It makes you kind of think like, oh my goodness, like, you know, I got to have a detection somewhere in there, right? Uh, one of the most useful things that I found, and I would say this is probably a good blanket idea for anybody who's out there writing detection rules or looking for adversarial activity, is the use of auto it inside of this particular infection chain or auto IT. The use of auto, I, I'm going to say auto it just because it's IT is not capitalized, but auto it is a, if I remember correctly, some sort of an automation software that could be used to help kind of automate workflows and whatnot. And the way that these infection chains worked uh, there was a phishing email that led to an MSI or a VBS that oddly enough utilized curl to download these malicious files, but it was malicious AU3 or I believe auto it template files that had the encrypted payload that subsequently did the thing that it did, right? And I just find these steps to be, okay, 
you know, maybe it worked for the adversary. Maybe they found success in doing this, but man, it creates a lot of noise, right? You're downloading a legitimate binary, a legitimate executable to then subsequently run a malicious payload. But that legitimate executable is going to leave a ton of footprints across the environment. So for my detection engineers out there, when you see workflows like this, when you see attack chains like this, can I, can I detect every single phishing URL? No. Can I detect every single MSI that comes in the environment? Maybe not. But that execution chain of AutoIt3 running, which then subsequently reaches out to PowerShell or command prompts or something like that, that is a chain of process events that I would absolutely think you could write a detection for and think that folks absolutely should. Because those are the different types of steps where you're going to get the most noise from the adversary and a chance where, again, they're going to be able to just say, hey, you know, this thing was working, but I'm going to go for the least common denominator between the two. So I don't care if my adversary brings a VBS or an MSI that auto it, at least in this campaign, that malicious auto it file was the common thing between the two. That's where I'm going from a detection perspective. Absolutely. Now, again, hats off to the folks over at uh, the blog, the blog authors here. They did drop quite a few different indicators into the blog post, talked about the adversary themselves, gave some actor information, even gave some interesting information about the email and whatnot as well, which I find to be you know pretty interesting. The uh, forums are mostly in English that the adversary is at. However, they receive questions in Russian and respond in Russian. They are also have been found to use malware that has Spanish strings dropped inside of it. But that may be something due to their testing or some other internal process they've got. It does not mean that they're Spanish necessarily. But, uh, you know, from attribution to technical walkthroughs to understanding, great blog posts. And if I'm a defender, I'm reading through this one four times and finding a new detection every single time. Are we witnessing the birth of a malware enterprise? Is this what a solopreneur criminal going mainstream looks like? You know, it might be. There's a little bit of history with Darkgate. Uh, they do note that the adversary who is, let me see here, I believe goes by the name Rastafari when translated into English, but it's a Russian version that they use. They've been on this forum board since June 2023, but they allegedly posted that they have been, they've done over 20,000 hours of work on this particular project and they are selling slots for folks to get in on. I would say this is probably another one of those, you know, economic opportunities or adversarial opportunities or opportunistic cybercrime cases where, you know, we've talked before against against kind of like ransomware as a service or, you know, other malicious things as a service, if you will. I think it's the exact same approach here. They figured out a way to host this infrastructure. They want to keep the project small because they can't scale past it. I mean, these are legitimate business problems, Chris. You know, I want to keep my project small because I can't scale past 10 users right now. So I'm going to only invite 10 and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it does feel a little bit like that, doesn't it? Like a solopreneur kind of going out on their own to see what they can scale and see what they can build and whatnot. But nonetheless, just absolutely love seeing it. And uh, the, the, the walkthrough in the article does a good job of shedding light on whatever it is the Rastafari has been doing. But I got to say, they have some really clean numbers, which makes me think that they're trying to get towards a million dollars worth of revenue a year based on their pricing models. And again, they're throwing things out there like, you know, the price will raise in the future, limiting the slots. It's very limited for you to get in on and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, typical sales tactics, right? So we've got a solopreneur running sales and marketing and all sorts of community outreach at the same time. Well, hopefully they don't get too big. Hate to see the bad guys win. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, I tell you what, though, as long as we got uh, telecom security over here running posts like this, it's going to be hard for this guy to, to scale himself out at all. All right. The next one I have, and a great one to end on, I've seen pop up in a bunch of places, and it's definitely a win we can chalk up for the good guys and gals. On August 29, 2023, the FBI and the Justice Department announced a multinational operation to disrupt and dismantle the malware and botnet known as QBot or QuackBot. The action, which took place in the U.S., France, Germany, the Netherlands, Romania, Latvia, and the United Kingdom, represents one of the largest U.S.-led disruptions of a botnet infrastructure used by cybercriminals to commit ransomware, financial fraud, and other cyber-enabled criminal activity. Since its creation in 2008, QBot malware has been used in ransomware attacks and other cybercrimes that have caused hundreds of millions of dollars in losses to individuals and businesses in the U.S. and abroad. To disrupt the botnet, the FBI redirected QBot traffic to bureau-controlled servers that instructed infected computers to download an uninstaller file. The uninstaller, created to remove the QBot malware, untethered infected computers from the botnet and prevented the installation of any additional malware. I don't have anything other than a slow clap for this. Did you hear about any of the details on this one, or you have anything to add here, Matt? Uh, I just, I gotta say, the level of international coordination that was involved in this one, Chris, is just absolutely fantastic. I mean, I won't read them all off, but going through the Justice Department, so the U.S. Justice Department's release on here, I mean, they're quoting, you know, Germany's Federal Criminal Police, Netherlands National Police, Romania's National Police, Latvia, Europol, French... Uh, cybercrime section of Paris, the FBI Milwaukee field office, shadow server, Microsoft DCU, have I been pwned? I mean, it, the, the the list of coordination is just, it's crazy. It, it's a lot. And these are the types of things that it takes. You know, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me here was the way that the FBI went about doing this. 700,000 computers worldwide, including more than 200,000 in the United States were infected. And the FBI was able to redirect traffic through their own servers which then in turn instructed those servers or those systems to download an uninstallation file. Genius way to go about doing this. I love when they turn the botnets back on themselves and make them uninstallation machines just as they were installation machines one day. So again, I'm right there with you on that slow clap, maybe more of a cheering roar on my side to hear this kind of stuff taken down and and brought in because I love it when the good guys get a victory like this. But a huge thank you personally to everyone who was involved. I know there's a lot of long hours and a lot of things that go into bringing these types of campaigns down and the world's a little bit of a safer place because y'all put that sacrifice in. So thank you for that. And this is a a great one to read. Um, There's lots of different viewpoints on this one. You know, Chris, one thing I will drop in here, which uh, may be a point of contention for some folks is whether the FBI went outside of their bounds by uninstalling. There are definitely some folks who would say, well, you know, they edited and modified computers, maybe without computer owners knowing or something like that. I got to say, you know, there is plenty of precedence and jurisdiction for doing what they did. And I think I would rather face a world where we've got much less malware running around to the tune of hundreds of thousands of systems, as long as that agency acted within their purview and within their allowed jurisdiction, which I'm sure they did. We've run into this before where we've seen the FBI actually issue, you know, uninstallation scripts or takes, uh, you know, malicious code off systems and things like that. And it's never been an issue of, you know, oh, they violated or did something, invasion of privacy or anything like that. It's more along the lines of we're taking this thing down globally. We saw it before with Zeus. We've seen it before with other types of crime and malware, uh, malicious malware authors, um, malicious files, malicious gangs, groups and things like that. So another huge prop to those folks. Thank you for everything you do. Yeah, and I think we even just talked about it on the last show, how the only way these things can be successful is if it all happens in a very short time frame. 
Otherwise, a single member of the group can kind of just fork the GitHub repo and split off and, and keep the business running. 100%, sir. 100%. You got to have this type of involvement. You got to have this type of global coordination. It's the only way it's going to work. Awesome. Well, another week in the books, Matt. Thanks for coming back to talk to me about this stuff. And I, I look forward to doing it again next week. As always, great to be here, Chris. And again, a huge final thank you to the folks on our Intel channel. You keep our content going, you keep our members safer, and you give us some really interesting reads as well. We're huge fans of it. So thank you all. Okay, take care. And that concludes episode number 61 of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. If you have any feedback or ideas for future topics, please send an email to defenders at limacharlie.io. You can access the intel we talk about on the show in real time and join the conversation on the Lima Charlie community Slack channel at slack.limacharlie.io. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with someone or leaving a rating or review. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you on the next episode.